Well, friends, if you are in need of good news, I seek to share it with you this morning. You know, something that's pretty interesting in the world we live in today is karma. You know what karma is? Karma is a teaching that ultimately is really not good news. It's actually very bad news. Um, that there's an impersonal force in the universe and that that force is sort of a built-in justice system. And that justice system returns good deeds to the ones who live out of good deeds. Uh, That bad deeds come to those who live out of bad deeds. Um, Ultimately, it's a cause and effect. It might be like this, that I'd be driving down the road, I'm in a hurry, I cut somebody off, and right away I'm stuck behind either a school bus or a mail truck. Now, that may happen to us from time to time, but it's not because of karma. Uh, In the same way, if I see somebody asking for money on the side of the road, and I give them money, I should expect a windfall of some kind. I should be expecting a bonus or some sort of a raise in my work. Um, And the problem is with karma that it's actually not true. It's not true, and we should be thankful that it's not true. I know it's not true because, number one, Scripture tells us very clearly that that's not true. We know from Scripture that God is a person and that God relates to his people in a personal way, not in an impersonal way. And further, we know from Scripture that God, this person who relates to his people in a personal way, does not work like that. He does not return things necessarily good for good and bad for bad. And that's the good news because ultimately in karma, in that system of thought, that teaching, we ultimately will always get bad because of our bad deeds always catching up to us. I also know from experience that karma is not true because when I was a kid, I was a punk kid. My mission was to cause my mother and all of my teachers to have gray hair and to be frustrated and lose their cool, and I was exceptional at it. And I have a sweet daughter and a little boy who seem to really be kind and like to make mommy and daddy smile. Karma is not real. This morning, we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 128. And at first glance, this psalm may look like Christian karma. That if we do good, we're going to get good. This is a wisdom psalm. And as a wisdom psalm, it teaches us a little bit about what wisdom is and how to live our lives. It gives us a picture of a fulfilling life centered on our relationship with the Lord and living according to His ways. And it orients us towards a way of living And it offers us truth. As a wisdom psalm, it gives us a little snapshot of truth, but it doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't give us all truth. It just gives us a little bit. So with that, let's read this psalm together. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for wisdom. Thank you for the wisdom psalms. Uh, They're confusing. A lot of the stuff in the Bible is confusing. I just pray that you would give me um, your words. You would enliven our hearts, and our minds to see your truth and to see the beauty of the cross. Um, I do pray, Lord, that if there are those amongst us this morning, including myself, that are too comfortable, I pray that you disrupt us. 
And for those who are, in fact, disrupted, suffering, or in mourning, I pray that you give us the great comfort of the cross in the name of Christ who offers it all to us in his presence. Amen. So, friends, this morning we're going to be looking at this from this perspective that we are seeing a fulfilling life pictured in worship, work, and family. So let's look at verse 1, which basically gives us a picture of worship. Verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. The NIV translates that last part as walking in obedience to him. So friends, this is a picture of worship. And I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning worship, hands in the air, or if you're Presbyterian, you know, maybe getting the arms right here up, but not like above the elbows. Um, we're talking about a life of worship, both in the sanctuary space, but also in the way that you live every day, um, walking in his ways, the Lord's ways. So this is a full picture of of worship. And when it says that this person, it, it, it starts by saying, blessed is everyone. Blessed is this really interesting Hebrew word that means happiness or fullness or flourishing. Ultimately, it means fulfillment, really. So we're, we're starting to already pick up on why I'm trying to tease out of this a fulfilling life, because this person is blessed. And it says that everyone, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Again, this expression, fear the Lord, extensively used throughout the Old Testament, and it basically means it's a reverence. It's a worship. It's a reverential, worshipful relationship with the Lord. And friends, it's not just one in words, but in all of life. Notice how it says, everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways? Not and. It's, it's this picture that these things are mutually dependent upon each other, that you really can't have a life of fearing the Lord without the other part of obedience to Him. This is the same thing that James talks about in the New Testament when he says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And so we have to understand that there is no fear of the Lord without a worshipful living relationship with Him, seeking to do the things that He's asked us to do, to live in accordance with His ways. So, friends, what is a fulfilling life? It starts here. It starts here, it ends here, and everything exists in between right here on a worshipful relationship with the Lord in all that we do. It's our point of orientation, and everything that follows in this psalm originates from this point of wisdom. This is how we have a fulfilling life. If I could have a beer with anybody from history, one of the first guys I would come to and think about having that beer with would be Augustine. We actually just sung a song that... He uh, has this beautiful quote in the Confessions, this prayer journal, essentially, of Augustine, and he says these words, and he helps us understand exactly how this is true. He says, speaking to the Lord, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's the song we just sang. I had no, no connection to that. Um, that's just the proof of the Holy Spirit being in our church today. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't feel an experience of fulfillment in your life, this is why. You're not supposed to. And you never will. You never will. This is the point. That our life of fulfillment starts and ends with a relationship with the Lord. We have a God-shaped void in our lives that only He can fill. Do you know what happens if you drink salt water? You get more thirsty. 
In the same way, anytime we're trying to fill this God-shaped void and the deep longings of our heart with anything other than Him, maybe we look for sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, and we have those things in surpassing amounts, we only get more and more hungry and thirsty for more of the fulfillment that only Christ can give us. Our hearts are restless till they rest in you, O Lord. It's part of how we're created. So we need to understand that everyone can only have true blessedness, true happiness, true fulfillment in a relationship with the Lord. Second thing is that this picture continues, this picture of a fulfilled life continues in describing our work. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. You know something I hate? I hate it when I work really hard at something and it doesn't work out. Can you relate to that? It really bugs me. It gets right under my... my uh, just. And I'll tell you what. One time this happened. It was two years ago. We are having a birthday party for our daughter, Eden. We had just found out that she's allergic to dairy and egg. And so we're like, okay, for her birthday, we're going to make some cupcakes. But we're going to make them no dairy, no egg. You know, we have some friends that are gluten-free. Oh, we'll make them gluten-free. Oh, you know, people may not like sugar. We'll make them sugar. They're basically fun-free cupcakes. <laughs> and we worked hard at these things. I mean, you should have seen it. It was batch after batch, and they just didn't turn out. It just didn't turn out. It was so disappointing. The vanity, the futility. We were so frustrated by this. It didn't turn out. And I think that's a picture of the vanity and, and the, the, the deep-seated desire that we have to have this fulfillment in our work. This is a picture of that in verse 2 where we actually get to experience the fulfillment of our work. It says, eating the fruit of your own labor. See, this is one of the simple joys and pleasures that we can receive from the Lord just by having our, 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 our perspective kind of changed whether or not we have necessarily a fruitful and prosperous work but we can just enjoy the fruit of our hands, the work of our hands, when we see those things work out well. I really love barbecue. Um, I love it. And let me, let me restate that. I love good barbecue. I love good barbecue. And in fact, I hate really bad barbecue. I hate it. Um, good barbecue is really hard to make. It takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of time and patience. There's a lot of things you have to just do just right. Uh, it takes a really long time, a lot of hard work. And um, I've had some good barbecue. I appreciate a lot of barbecue I've had in this town. Mission Barbecue, Dickies, a lot of my buddies like Joey Brooks, uh, Austin, uh, Andrew. A lot of guys make barbecue here, and it's great. But I'll tell you what, mine's the best. Mine's the best. No offense to my friends, but here's the reason why. I made it. Do you understand? I made it. I worked hard at it, and the harder I worked at it, the better it tastes. You can't compete with that. I love it, and it tastes great. You see, when we get to experience eating the fruit of our labors, we are tap, we're just tapping into something that's so foundational to our creational DNA that God has made us in such a way that He wants us to have dominion. He's called us to have dominion. He's called us to have impact in the world around us and to have a real substantive, make a difference in the world kind of impact. And so when I'm able to taste the fruit of my labor, I am fulfilled with something very, very gratifying. And all of these things, all of the blessings, this, this, this work that we may enjoy, this is a gift to us from God. We need to understand that in this broken world, 
that's basically nothing but crookedness, anything that we enjoy that's straight, like eating the fruit of our labor, that is a gift. That should, that should tune us into worshiping the Lord who is allowing us to taste those good gifts. I am lost in my notes. Here we go. That's why I number them. Um, so let's look at verse 3. We're going to look at the picture continuing in a fulfilling life with our families. It says this, verse 3, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. So first, there's a wife here, um, described as being a fruitful vine. This is a very loaded expression that can mean a, a lot of things. I'm just going to list a few of them. Sexually pleasing, the bearer of children, she may be like wine, which also comes from the fruit of the vine, which um, means that she's a bringer of joy and gladness to the very center of the home. So ultimately, this is a very fulfilling relationship and partnership that produces. It's fruitful. And in the Old Testament, children were objectively more valuable to the, the family unit than they are today. We love children, sure, um, but in the Old Testament, in this time period, the agricultural setting the very um, the physical security and economic security was intertwined towards the size and prosperity of your family. The number of kids you had really had a super big impact on those things. So this is an unbelievable blessing for this woman to be able to be fruitful in these ways and to bring joy and gladness to the home. And then he talks about the children being like olive shoots around your table. This is a really neat thing. I didn't know this, but olive trees, they sort of sprout or reproduce right from the base of the tree, right at the trunk, well, like kind of where the root system starts growing out from. They just spring up like weeds, little, little olive shoots, and you just replant them. It's great. And so what this is is a picture of just natural children growth and a growing family around a table, a very domestic picture where they're what? They're, they're being a family. They're enjoying intimate connection, and they're enjoying the fruit of the labor around the table. It's just a, a really fulfilling picture. Every time I have a meal with my family eating barbecue, it's just, <laughs> yes. You know, like, I, that, that's it. That's it. That's what I'm here for. So then we come to verse 4. We see this really neat summary of everything that's come before. Behold. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. I want you to notice that in verse 4 it says, the man will be blessed who fears the Lord. This is repeating the same phrase in verse 1. So what that does is it functions as a bracket, that everything that comes in between those things is about the fear of the Lord. I want you to catch that. This is about a worshipful relationship with the Lord. About a year and a half ago, I was at a, a camping trip by myself to land between the lakes. I'm in a hammock. I just woke up. I had my coffee. You know, life is good. I'm like, oh, let's read the Bible, you know, and I'm like flipping, flipping, and I'm like, oh, here we go. Let's do this one. Why not this one? And I read Psalm 128. It's not in my journal. I just remember it like it was yesterday. And these words were seared into my eyeballs. They were tattooed on my heart. These words convicted me and inspired me because I realized that this is about a reverential worship that I should have and lead my family with and that maybe out of God's grace, I will be blessed and my family will be blessed and I might get to experience that kind of family fulfillment 
if I can lead my family well. Men, I want to talk to you for a second. Now, verse 1 says that this is for everyone. The word is everyone. But verse 4 refers to the man. Your wife. Your table. Every time the word you or your is used in this passage, verses 1 through 6, it's masculine. Every time. This passage is an implicit call for us as men to lead our families as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. It's convicting. It's inspiring to me that God may choose to bless my life and my family through the relationship that I have with him and living accordingly, walking in his ways. Maybe, maybe he would bless me in that way. My wife serves as a mirror to me. And all wives serve as a mirror to their husband. This is God's gift to us, but it's not always convenient. Uh, last night, in fact, was one of those inconvenient times for me. We're on a date. We were on a date. You know, we got the babysitter. We go to Nashville, and my sin is all over her face. This is not made, made up. And I didn't want to look at her face because I didn't want to see my face. And this passage gives us a call as men to lead well, rooted in following after the Lord in such a way that maybe our wives would just want to follow us because they know that we have their best interest in mind. So let me ask you this question. Does God bless righteous living? Yes, He does. Let me ask you another question. Does God let the righteous suffer? Yes, he does. I wonder if some of you may just be tapping into some longing this morning because this is talking about some things that you desire. Children, a spouse, perhaps you're struggling with infertility, perhaps you're struggling with singleness. Why hasn't God answered your desires? I'm not sure but I would seek to remind us all that God is good. He has a plan. And I would remind those of us who struggle and long for children of our own and a spouse of our own that God calls all of us, first and foremost, to a life of singleness. And he has to call us out of that life of singleness to give us a life of marriage and even further, a family, children. And Paul affirms these things as good. You know what the difference between a picture and a movie is? It's pretty obvious. A picture is a moment frozen in time. It's a snapshot. And a movie tells a story. Uh, a picture is truth. A picture is truth. A movie just happens to tell a lot more truth. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but a movie is a whole lot of thousands of pictures, right? So it's multiplied. See, wisdom psalms give us a picture of truth, right? They give us a picture. It's a snapshot. But they don't give us the whole truth. Psalm 128 can look like Christian karma, but it's not. See, in the wisdom books, Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, these are part of the wisdom literature, but the first book is Job. And Job is a movie. 
you might think about Psalm 128 as a picture of Job at 11.59 a.m. 11.59 a.m. We read in Job that he was a man blameless and upright, righteous. He feared God. He was the greatest of the men in the East, prosperous, had kids. It was great. 11.59 a.m. What happens at 12.00 p.m.? He lost it all. His family and his fortune were taken away from him, swept away in a moment. I think Job might have been put at the beginning of the wisdom literature to give us a real clear story of the complexity of how God works so that we don't have the tendency to believe that our God is a God of Christian karma in the simplicity of a snapshot in this psalm. Yes, the Lord allows the righteous to suffer. Where was God in Job's suffering? Where was God this week when I heard of a 14-year-old boy who was killed with a UTV accident? Or for the brother and sister who killed or killed in a car crash? Where's God with the suffering in our lives? The infertility. He's there. And he's here. He's here. He's inviting us to trust him. Whether we experience the simple, fulfilling blessings of our life or we don't, he's inviting us to trust him. We should remember that all the blessings in this psalm, if we're so lucky to enjoy them, really just paint us a picture of, of what heaven could be like. And they're all temporary in nature. Whether or not they're swept away in a moment like they were with Job, all these things are going to be gone. Your kids are going to die. You're going to die. Your table full of barbecue, it's going to be gone. We should remember that the good things we experience are gifts and they point us forward to heaven. They are a foretaste a succulent appetizer of barbecue pointing us forward to what awaits us in the fulfillment that is in our relationship with Christ and His presence. And when we suffer and we long for something that we can't have, it points us forward to the same reality that this life, this world is not our home. We're made for more and we will have it in the kingdom. And yet, yes, it is appropriate to hope and pray for such blessings that God would bless us for just out of His goodness. And that's how this psalm ends. It ends in a prayer for us to experience personally and communally the blessing that is being referred to here. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. It says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children peace be upon Israel. The Lord bless you from Zion. Zion, what's that mean? Well, it's, it's God's presence, basically. It's the place that He resides. And that's the only place that you can be blessed from, is from God's very presence. It says, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, Seeing the prosperity of any place in the Old Testament is equivalent to experiencing the prosperity. And Jerusalem is the city of which they were in. So he's calling them to 
this picture of being blessed from the community itself. When the community prospers, you prosper. In Jeremiah, we read that we should seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. The Lord sent them into exile. Catch that. What do you do with that? And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, a city under siege is not a very fun place to be. Right? When the city prospers, you prosper as a resident. When the city struggles, you struggle, right? That's how that works. You see, in this psalm, we have this beautiful picture of concentric circles, of intimate connection between the man who leads his family, or the, or the everyone, if you want to be verse 1, with the family, concentric circles, to the community, Jerusalem, and then peace be upon Israel. The whole people, the whole nation, the whole city, the whole people of God. This is a very Middle Eastern concept, And get this, we're actually a Middle Eastern religion. This church is a Middle Eastern church because we were born out of this context. And the body of Christ, the mutual dependency that we see exhibited in the Scriptures calls us to this way of living that is mutually dependent on the individual, the family, and the community. And it works both ways. That when we bless our family, our family can bless the community, the community can bless the nation, the world, and vice versa, that the world and the community that we live in can bless us and allow us to be blessed. Beautiful, intimate connection in how the Lord can bless us, His people, in that way. You might even understand this passage in this way. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, so that you may live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Peace is not the absence of strife and war and conflict. That word is shalom. Shalom. It's this word that basically means this all-encompassing well-being. It's basically living life as it's supposed to be lived in the garden. That's really what shalom really denotes to us. So another bracket for you would be this. The first word of this is blessed. The individual who worships the Lord in all things is blessed, happy. And then at the end, we see this shalom, this all-pervasive blessing for the whole community of God's people. Beautiful. So this is a prayer that we would experience these things both individually and as our families and in our communities, and we should pray those things. And we should also Remember that whether or not we experience the blessings of this psalm, we can have a fulfilling life in our relationship with Christ. So this psalm points us to Christ. Everything that we saw here that's a blessing, that seems fulfilling, is temporary in nature and points us forward to the ultimate blessing of being with Christ forever in glory. And Him meeting all of our needs, wiping away every tear, Everything here that is a blessing and a gift from the Lord serves as an appetizer, a foretaste. Second, as it says in verse 1, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His way. Good thing karma is not real because we would all ultimately get nothing but bad. Jesus is the only one who is able to live this out, who is only the only true man who is able to live worshipfully every day 
to truly and perfectly embody the things of God. So it points us to Jesus in that way as well. Friends, this is how we know the main ways that we know that karma is not, um, not real, and that our God is not a God of karma. It's, it's this, Jesus would have never suffered and died. And that we would never do anything other than suffer and die. Because that's what we deserve. Christianity is actually the opposite of karma. Because Christ got the opposite of what he deserved. And so does everyone else who has faith in him. Praise the Lord for that. What this means, friends, is that we are able to experience a fulfilling life with or without the blessings associated with this psalm, because we have the person and work of Christ. We have his presence. And this morning we get to celebrate that in the visual proclamation and representation of the gospel in the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, I pray that these words, which are not mere words, but are life themselves, would fill us with hope, with glory, with the gospel, that you would create life in our dead hearts. And may this Lord's Supper be a meal that helps us commune with you in your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.